We've been in a series going through Genesis chapters 1 to 3, and I had prepared a message carrying on preaching through Genesis 3. But with the events of Friday evening and Saturday morning, I was in a state of shock, and it seemed, it seemed too hard to believe that Carol, who was here with us, welcoming people last Friday, had been taken. And I thought it would be a state of shock for many people here. And so I can't just carry on with the series. We need something to help us in this situation. So this has been very hastily prepared, but I'm looking to God to bring us some help this morning. So let's turn again to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, if you've got a church Bible, it's page 1027 in the English and page 18 in the second part of the Chinese. Matthew chapter 10. And let's read again verses 29 to 31. 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The first thing I want to point out from these verses is that God is in control. Now, the events of Friday have taken us massively and completely by surprise. But they did not take God by surprise. How can we be sure? Well, we've just read verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. In your garden at springtime, you sometimes see a little baby bird on the ground. Well, I have in my garden, not sure if a cat got it or if it just fell out of the nest, but there it is, dead on the ground. Recently, I was working in the church and I had a great big thump and it was a pigeon had flown into that window and fell onto the roof below and then rolled onto the uh, alleyway outside. And Jesus says here a most remarkable thing. He says, even this will not happen apart from the will of God. In other words, it won't happen unless God decides to allow it. And Jesus chose his words very carefully. Have a look at the words in verse 29, which we must take seriously. He says, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Not one sparrow in the countryside of Galilee. 2,000 years ago. Not one sparrow in the outwoods of Charmwood. Not one sparrow in the vast forests of Russia is going to fall to the ground unless God determines that it's going to happen. Jesus is telling us if God does that for the sparrows, then our times, every one of them, is in his hands. Now the Bible's a very big book. And it's very easy to find a verse that says something that you like if you rip it out of context. But this verse isn't an oddity in the Bible. It's a verse that is reinforcing the consistent message of the Bible. Let me just give you a few other examples of verses I considered preaching on for the same theme. Job had had his children taken away from him and just about everything taken away from him. And he had this to say about it. Job 14 verse 5. Man's days are determined. You, that is God, have decreed the number of his months and have set limits 
he cannot exceed. Or I wondered about preaching on Psalm 139, a great verse about God knowing us exactly and completely. And it says in verse 16, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Or we could have taken Paul preaching in Athens to people who knew nothing about God, who were crazy idolaters, and he said to them, look, you've got it all wrong, because, Acts 17, verse 29, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth and the exact places where they should live. He's determined it all. Or we could have taken James, the brother of Jesus, who was writing to some rich people who were rather overconfident in themselves. And he said to them, James 4 verse 13, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Well, we've had a very striking reminder of the truth of those verses Carol was at a meeting at Alistair and Yuki's house on Wednesday evening, seemingly perfectly fine, and gone by the end of Friday. It's reminded us our lives are so fragile. We don't know what's coming to us. We so often confidently assert what we're going to do next week, or maybe even next year. And James says, remember, remember how fragile you are. Don't be so overconfident. But he also gives us reassurance hidden in here. Because what does he say? He says, whether we live or not is a matter of the Lord's will. It's the Lord's will. It's all in his hands. It's his decision. And the first thing for us to get from this, surely, is this. What an awesome God. And I mean the word awesome literally, not just in the slang way it's used. It means this, stand in awe of him, in wonder in amazement, the God who, even a sparrow falling out of a tree in the forests of Russia, doesn't happen without him. For each of my points this morning, I want to have a parallel in Romans. And the parallel for this first point in Romans is Romans 11, verse 33. This news about God should cause us to say, Romans 11:33, oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So our first response should be to worship and bow. Because God is in control. God is in control and secondly, 
This is to reassure us. This is to reassure us. Now, hearing about God being in control and this amazing control of everything makes me think of two people. One is an Oxford student who was arguing that, he wasn't arguing it from God, he was saying because everything can be explained by science. He's saying because everything really has a scientific cause, so he believes, the idea we make real choices is just an illusion. It feels like it to us, but it's just science doing it. That's one person it makes me think of. Another is a friend who described to me when he was travelling in the Himalayas. And there were these windy roads with sheer drops at the side. And he was being driven by a Muslim taxi driver. who he said, drove like crazy. Because if it's Allah's will we die, we'll die. If it's Allah's will that we live, we'll live. So let's just drive like crazy. Now, the context of our verses is not those sorts of arguments or those sorts of excuses. What is the context of our verses? What's going on? Who's Jesus speaking to? Why is he speaking to them? Well, he's speaking to his disciples, what today we'd call Christians, facing trouble. So, for example, see verse 17. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. And it actually happened to them. Flogged. Think of that. Verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And it actually happened and it still happens today. Christians who are betrayed by their families. Or verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. It's written to reassure Christians facing trouble. Not so that we can get into highly philosophical arguments about do we have a real choice or not. Not so that we can make it an excuse for just doing whatever we please and say, well, God must have planned it. It's written to reassure Christians facing trouble. The creator who controls even a sparrow falling to the ground. Who is he? Have a look at verse 29. Who is he to those Christians facing trouble? Well, Jesus says, he's your father. He's your father. Now think what he's meaning by that. My children like to jump off rocks for me to catch them. There's an awful lot of rocks in this area, some pretty high ones too. Or they jump out of trees, trusting that I will catch them, because I'm their father. So they trust that, of course, I will catch them. I'm sometimes a little worried, because I could make a mistake and fail to catch them. And actually, a little while ago, one of them jumped out of a tree before warning me, (laughs) and and hit the ground. Could our father drop us? Could he get caught out by the unexpected? Not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from his will. And then Jesus says, verse 31. No, sorry, I mean verse 30. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Why did he say this? Why did he choose this example? The hairs of your head... What is it about the hairs of your head that he's thinking of? Well, I think two things. One is, they are a tiny detail. They're a tiny detail. And the other is, it's something that you and I don't know. Even I don't know the number of hairs on my head. They may not look many, but there are a lot there. 
It's, a, it's, it's something that we don't know ourselves. The tiny details, and even the things we don't know about ourselves, they're all known to him. He's saying you can trust your father's care in every aspect of your life. Let's think again about it. What is your hair? What is your hair? Well, it's part of your body. Your father cares for your body, not just your soul. He cares about the details here and now, not just the final destination. And so, verse 31, so, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus is saying the events of your life and the timing of your death are not in the hands of random chance or fate or evil powers. Yes, verse 28 says there are people who are evil and they can kill your body. But verse 29 says they can't do it unless your father allows it. I've got a parallel in Romans again, and our parallel this time is in chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because no other powers are in control. He is. We have a God who has awesome power. This is here to reassure us. But how can we be sure he'll use this awesome power for our good? Well, we are reassured through, thirdly, a big understatement. Thirdly, here we have a big understatement. Now, how much are you worth? How do you measure how much you're worth? Well, if, you, if you're in work, you might measure how much you're worth by how much you're paid. Do you think they're paying you what you're worth in your workplace? Yeah? Are you just a cog in the machine to produce something for your business or university? What are you worth? If you're a new student, you're getting to know new people. Do they value you? Are the people at home missing you? What are you worth? If you're elderly, you can't do what you once did. You don't have the role you once had. Are you worth what you once were? What are you worth? Well, Jesus says, you can be sure of the care of the God who controls even the sparrows because, let's move to verse 31. 31. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. What was a sparrow worth? Well, it tells us in verse 29. Half a penny. You get two for a penny. Apparently, they like to eat sparrows, and you'd buy them in the market. Two for a penny. Take them home, cook them, and eat them. Just two for a penny. Yet God takes notice even of them. You are worth more. How much more? It's It's a broad statement, isn't it? You're worth more than many sparrows. Does it mean you're worth one penny? Or a million pounds. You know, worth more could mean any number of things. How much more than many sparrows? Well, if you're trusting the Lord Jesus, and this is all written and spoken to people trusting the Lord Jesus, God says you are worth this. 
giving his son for you. That's worth a lot more than many sparrows. Worth giving his son for you. He loved you and he valued you enough to give his son, to become a man, to pay for your sin, so you could be his, his child. That's worth a lot more than a few sparrows, many sparrows. What an understatement verse 31 is. To God the Father, you're worth giving his son. To God the Son, you're worth going to the cross for. I've got another parallel in Romans. This time it's it's Romans 8 again, and it's verse 32. Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. It's written to Christians, those who know that God has given his son for them, and he says, well, if he's done that, how will he not also give you everything you need? Now, have you ever turned up for a a flight on an aeroplane and been told, sorry, it's a very overbooked flight, we haven't got a seat for you? I have twice. It is infuriating. I've paid good money for that seat. Why do they overbook? That's so annoying. Well, because they know some people book a flight and pay for it and then don't turn up. Apparently there's a lot of people book a flight, pay for it and then don't turn up. Maybe some of them just change their mind. That seems rather odd when you paid all that money. I suspect for a lot of them they get stuck in a traffic jam or something just stops them being able to turn up. They've purchased something but they can't enjoy the use of it. Something's got in the way. But God isn't like that. He has paid. How much has he paid for you? He's paid the ultimate price. He's given his son. Well, the people he's done that for, he's not going to let go of them. He knew who he gave his son for. He knew exactly who he was giving his son for. And he'll do all that is needed for them. He's not going to say, oh, that one is proving too much trouble. I can't keep rescuing him from his problems he keeps falling into. Let him go. He's not going to say, has one slipped through the net? Did I not notice what was happening for her? Had I given my son for her? Oh, well, never mind. He's paid the ultimate price for each of his loved people. He's not going to fail them right through to the end. Worth more than many sparrows? What an understatement. And that leads us to fourthly and lastly, so you need God to be for you. You need God to be for you. If you're still in Matthew 10, have a look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And I think it's in Luke's Gospel that Jesus adds, yes, be afraid of him. But then in verse 31 he says, so don't be afraid. So which are we supposed to be, afraid or not afraid? He said, be afraid of him. He says, but don't be afraid. Are we supposed to be afraid or not? God is awesome. He is in control. Should that make us afraid or not? Well, it all depends on whether he is for you or against you. Two weeks ago, I was in Latvia, and I had this 
very interesting experience of speaking to an elderly woman who had been a child in Latvia in World War II. And her family had heard that the Russians were coming. And the Russians had easily the power to crush Germany by that point. Germany had invaded Latvia, taken control. But the Russians were coming. They had power. They would crush the Germans. They would take control. Was that good news to stop her being afraid? Or was it bad news to make her afraid? What do you reckon? The Russians are coming to liberate Latvia. Well, it depended if the Russians were for you or against you. For many people in Latvia, that was very good news and the Russians were welcomed with open arms because the Russians were for them. It was very strange as an English person person to hear from this Latvian woman saying, for me, that was very bad news because her father was a journalist and her family were very rich and the Russians were against them and actually killed her father and her family managed to escape into the woods and hide. God is awesome. He's in control. Is it good news or bad news? Should it make you afraid or not afraid? Well, it depends if he is for you or against you. And if he's for you, his his power is to hold you carefully in his hands. And if he's against you, well, verse 28 tells you, I don't need to make up some words for this, Jesus said them. He said, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body, in hell. Our parallel is Romans 8, verse 31. Got another parallel in Romans 8, verse 31. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, all sorts of people can be against you, but what can they do if God is for you? To put it the other way around, if God is against us, who can be for us? Well, many people can, but what can they do? to help you if God's hand is against you. So how do you know if God's for you or against you? Because you need to know. You need to be sure. You need to be definite. How can you know if God is for you or against you? Well, let's move on to verse 32 to 33. 32 to 33. Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. All of God's dealings with us are through Jesus. All of God's dealings with us are through Jesus. God has appointed Jesus to be our mediator. That means he represents God to us and us to God. And that means whether God is for you or against you, all completely depends on your relationship with Jesus. Because there is no other way to relate to God. It all depends on your relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says here, do you acknowledge him as Lord and Saviour? Do you recognise he is the Saviour you need and he's the Lord you should obey? Do you? That's a simple question, isn't it? And given what hangs on it, we all need at this moment to be giving an answer in our mind. Do you acknowledge him as the saviour you need and the Lord you should obey? And I've said we all need to give an answer to that in our mind, but do you have that not just as a secret decision in your mind, but as something open and public to others? Because that's what Jesus says here in these verses. 
It's not just to be something secret in your mind, but something open and public to others. If you do, if you can say, yes, I recognise him as the saviour I need and the Lord I should obey and I'm not just keeping this as a secret decision that I might change next week if I change my mind. No, it is open, public and firmly held to. Here's reassurance. Life hits us with shocks. Our country's very unstable at the moment. Our lives are fragile all the time. Death comes so unexpectedly. But you are worth more than many sparrows. To God, you're worth giving his son for you. And the God who values you that much, he's your father. And he's in control. So let's turn to him now and pray again.